Shalom Aleichem, we are exploring Lekut HaSichas, Nitzavim Chelek Chav Dalet. Every Sicha is special, this one is special too, and it is special in a special way, in that it begins very much as a Rashi Sicha, and as the Rebbe's custom, brilliantly illuminates a Rashi, which is the Pshat, the most basic level of Torah study, and then the Rebbe often says that in Rashi is embedded and hidden Yenusha Torah, the wine of Torah, which is the secrets and even the Hasidus of Torah. And much of the Sikha then becomes Hasidus, uh, explaining uh, aspects of Rosh Hashanah from the lens of Hasidus and how that is all embedded in this beautiful Rashi. This is what a Sikha. Okay. I hope I do justice to it. So, the Rashi is beginning a portion. Nitzavim. Nitzavim begins. Atem Nitzavim. Ayom Kulchem. Moshe Rabbeinu. This is the day of his passing. He turns to the Jewish people and he says, "You stand this day, all of you, before Hashem." And he lists all ten categories: your leaders, and and your elders, and your young, and your men, and your women, and your scholars, and water carriers, and wood choppers, what have you. And why do you stand there before God, in order for Him to enter with? Into, with you into a covenant and to an oath which he is establishing with you today, unquote. And then it continues in order that he will establish you to him today as his people, unquote. So the Rashi is on this last verse. If you take a look at the top of the screen, again, the first verse was that I'm standing, you're standing before Hashem, but why? in order to enter into a covenant with Hashem, which he's establishing with you today, in order to establish you to him as a people. Rashi comments on that second verse. In order to establish you to him as a people, says Rashi, in order to keep you established before him as a people. Rashi seems to say pretty much what the verse says, with some nuance changes. And the question is, what's bothering Rashi? The principle is that Rashi is here to comment, uh, not because he's collecting uh, sources from the oral Torah and feeding it to us. Rashi is only here to explain a problem which arises in the pshat, the literal level of text. Like a great teacher, he doesn't tell you the question and then the answer. But if there is a problem, he embeds the answer in the Rashi so that the student, if and when he or she is bothered by that problem, will have the answer given to them on a silver platter by Rashi. So therefore, anytime there's an entry in Rashi, the first question is, what's bothering Rashi? What's wrong with the verse that we cannot leave it alone? And we need any Rashi at all. There are many verses in Torah where there's no Rashi. There's hardly a verse that doesn't have tremendous mountains of commentary, but there are many verses that have no Rashi because on the literal level, the verse speaks for itself. It needs no commentary. What's wrong with this verse? What's what, what's not understood? Moses is telling the people, you're standing before Hashem on this day to enter into a covenant with him in order to establish you as his people. What do you need a Rashi? And what is Rashi even adding by what he's saying? He's pretty much paraphrasing the verse with some minor changes. That's the Rebbe's question. Now, in this case, this question is also bothered by many other commentaries on Rashi. There are Mefarshe Dashi. There is, there's a whole slew of commentaries who uh, who focus, like the Rebbe, on explaining Rashi. And often they'll ask similar questions as the Rebbe does. 
And uh, so the Rebbe quotes them. In this case, I believe all three of the major Rashi commentators, uh, the Gorarya, which is the Maral of Prague, the Mizrahi, and uh, and uh, the Sifsei These are three, I believe, most prominent commentaries on Rashi. They all ask this question. What's bothering Rashi? What's wrong with the verse? And I believe they all give the same answer. They all give pretty much the same answer. And that is, um, what's bothering Rashi that there's a problem with the verse. Remember, Rashi comments when there's a problem with the verse on the literal text level. What's the problem with the verse? Well, this verse seems to say that the purpose of the covenant is to establish the Jewish people as his people. And that's not true. The purpose of the covenant is that the Jews should keep Torah. That's the covenant. The covenant is like, you know, a marriage covenant that we will be faithful. The covenant with the Jewish people was that you will keep Torah. So what is this verse saying? And the prior verse says you're entering into a covenant with Hashem in order to establish you as people. That's not the purpose of the covenant. It should have said in order that you keep Torah. As it says immediately in the next verse and in other places. That's a problem. That's a bother. That's bothering Rashi. And therefore, Rashi tries to explain it by saying that what this verse is saying is not the purpose of the covenant, but the reason for the covenant in the first place. These are not the same things. There's the purpose of the covenant. What's the goal of that covenant? That the people should keep Torah. What's the reason for the covenant? Because Hashem wants his people to be established forever. Because if God forbid they stop keeping the covenant, they may not survive forever. Nothing lasts forever except for that which is close to Hashem. And therefore, the reason for the covenant, not the purpose, get the difference. That's why I put it in caps. The purpose of the covenant is to keep Torah. As it says in the, the following verse. However, the reason why Hashem made the covenant to begin with why does he have the covenant and its purpose? He has a reason for it, because he loves the Jewish people, and he wants them to be established forever. And therefore, he makes the covenant, and therefore says the Rebbe, says the commentaries, rather, that that's Rashi's interpretation. So Rashi, to sum that up, Rashi's, the way the commentaries see it, Rashi's problem is, the verse is stating that the covenant is about establishing the Jewish people, when really it's about keeping the Torah. Which one is it? And they explain that, what Ra that Rashi is answering that problem and saying that, that the covenant is to keep Torah true. But why did he do that to begin with? What's the reason for it? In order that you should become his people and you should maintain that status to always be here forever because the only way to be forever is if you're keeping Torah. Says the Rebbe, it's not satisfactory. Because that too is self-explanatory. That too is self-explanatory. Read the verses. The way the Rebbe puts it, I'm trying to be succinct about it, that purpose and reason are not so different. The reason is why I did something. The purpose is how I'm going to do it. So the reason for the covenant, because he loves the Jewish people and he wants them to always be here forever and be his people eternally. And therefore, how is he going to get there? 
by making a covenant, which whose purpose is that they keep Torah. So by doing the purpose, by keeping Torah, they will be here forever. And that reason of Hashem's plan will be fulfilled. So why do we have to complicate it? Let's go back to the top of the screen, says the Rebbe. Let's make believe there would be no Rashi and just read the text. In order to enter you into the covenant with Hashem, which he established you today, translation, the covenant of keeping mitzvahs. And why? Why did he do that? In order that you should be his people. You shouldn't go away, God forbid, like other nations that come and go. Like everything in the world that's temporary. You should be an eternal people. So what is needed? Plus, what does Rashi really accomplish? So the Rebbe comes along and says that Rashi is really bothered by something else entirely. He's not bothered by this problem of, you know, is the covenant about Torah or is the covenant about eternity? The covenant is about Torah, but the whole reason for that is so that people will be forever. Like the purpose fulfills the reason. It goes together. A leads to B. That's not a problem. What is a problem is something else much more straightforward. And that is, says the Rebbe, what's really bothering Rashi? Take a look at the verse. You're entering into a covenant with Hashem, which he's establishing with you this day, in order to establish you as his, a hayom, establish you to him as a uh, today as a people. Today, we became Hashem's people. Today, he made a covenant. Are you kidding me? The covenant was made 40 years ago at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai. And the covenant is mentioned in the portion of Yitro when the Torah was given numerous times. They sprinkled the blood. There was a whole covenantial situation. It's reiterated in the last week's portion where Moses talks about the covenant over and over again. This is not a new thing. So how could the verse of Moses come along and say, it's a covenant today that you'll be established as his people today. They've been established as his people. Open up the portion of Yisro in the book of Shemos, and it will tell you before the story of Har Sinai, or the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, that you will become my people today. That's bothering Rashi, says the Rebbe. And that's a big problem. That's a big question. Suddenly today, he's making a covenant. Suddenly today, he's making you his people. It's all loose. Says the Rebbe, Rashi is answering, and this is very original and creative, that there are two covenants. Covenant number one was made at Sinai. And it really continued and was solidified with the next generation throughout the 40 years of the desert. Covenant number two is being made now by Moses before his passing, or to be precise, on the day of his passing. And they're separate. Hence, even though in last week's portion, and even at the end of last week's portion, the covenant is mentioned, suddenly we have a new portion mentioned in this covenant. It's new, because this covenant is, is covenant number two, we're calling it. It's on the day of Moses' passing. Not to be confused, separate and apart um, of the Sinai slash desert covenant, which was one longer a covenant that was established at Sinai and affirmed and confirmed throughout the 40 years. And even in last week's portion of Tavo, today we open the new page, Covenant 2. And what's the difference? Says the Rebbe, the first covenant established the Jewish people as his people. The second ensured the eternal establishment of the Jewish people, that they will be here forever. I gave this class to my Chabad House group, a bunch of fellas with good senses of humor, and I said, imagine you get married. 
The chuppah is a covenant that you're married. Is there a guarantee that it's forever? There isn't. Hopefully at some point in the marriage, the relationship comes to a place where you can say, and there isn't a formal religious service ceremony for this, but some people might do it today. They have something called renewal of the vows. There might be a time when the couple looks at each other and they say, you know what, this is, please God, an eternal covenant. So somebody piped up on the Zoom and said, yeah, that's when you sign her name onto your mortgage. Okay. So, so, so this is two steps. Hashem makes a covenant that we're his people, but we don't know if we are forever. Nothing is forever except Hashem himself. So we're his people until, God forbid, we're no longer. That's the nature of things. Everything comes and goes. The most mighty empires came and went. Now, a new covenant that these people will be eternal. But why would they not be? And the answer is being that the only thing that's eternal is that which is divine. The only way we can be eternal is if we are constantly keeping the mitzvahs and staying close to Hashem. And if that changes, God forbid, it could be a problem. And that's the second covenant. Hashem assured us that we will never turn our back and we will never leave the mitzvahs and therefore we will never go away. We will never disappear. And the Rebbe says brilliantly, friends, that this, this innovation that the Rebbe is coming up with, that this covenant one and two, and that they're doing different things. It's a beautiful idea, but where does the Rebbe get it from? He has to have a source in the Rashi. The Rebbe says that's exactly what Rashi says. Go back to the top of the screen. Rashi seems to copy and paste the verse, only he makes nuanced changes. And we know that in Torah study, those nuanced changes, the devil's in the details. That's where the wisdom is. That's where the message comes through. So let's take a look at line two and three on the screen. The verse says, the Pusik says, to establish you to him as a people. Says Rashi, the same thing, but slight variation. To keep you established before him. Two differences. Instead of saying to establish, to keep you established. And instead of saying to him, he changes it to mean before him. What's the difference? To him means you belong to him. But you're not always in his presence. You don't always feel his presence. Hence, you might forget him and, and go astray, God forbid, Hashem made it such at this time with this covenant. Hashem went out of his way by adding the oath and by walking between, so to speak, between the two parts of the animal with the Jewish people. And whatever it is that Hashem did at this time, he infused the Jewish people in a covenant in a way that they will always feel that they are before him. Rebbe doesn't explain what that means, but apparently this is a, when we all got a certain sense that God is real and we're always before him. And therefore, a Jew can never really turn their back on Hashem. And it happened here. And that's a whole different covenant. It's a whole different purpose. It's to solidify and to make, eternalize the earlier covenant. And Rashi is not just, uh, and Rashi is, is, that's Rashi's explanation, why it's happening today. And that's why Rashi deviates from the verse. Not to establish you to him, but to keep you established before him. Brilliant. Brilliant because the nuance, the way Rashi changes it, is not even a new word. It's just a change in the word. In the Hebrew, it says, to establish you as a people. And Rashi says, to keep you established, to maintain you as established. Such a tiny difference. The verse says, you will be to him, said Rashi, lift one up. Says the Rebbe brilliantly, of course, that's the whole purpose of the Raj. 
this is a new covenant. This is a covenant that will maintain the eternity of the Jewish people, and, and, and they'll always be here. And these two covenants are spelled out in two verses, both of which uh, speak about something happening on this day. In the in the column of covenant one, uh, we look in last week's portion. There's a verse that says, "Today, this day, you become my people." Hayom la'am, which mirrors the language at Sinai. On this day, they came to Sinai. Again, emphasizing that this is a covenant that's that happened on that day, and as explained earlier. The covenant began at Sinai, and its book ended in Parashat Kitavo because it was sort of confirmed and reaffirmed throughout the 40 years of the sojourning in the desert. And then in Nitzavim, the language is slightly different, but similar. He established you today as his people. Two covenants. So we can walk away. We've settled the Rashi on the Pshat level. We don't understand the purpose of Rashi. The commentary's explanation seems wanting. Says the Rebbe, no, there's a real problem that Rashi is solving, and he's introducing by the nuances a whole new covenant, and uh, and that is mirrored in the verse in Yitzhabim that Hashem makes this covenant with you today, which mirrors and echoes the verses in Yisro at Sinai and the verses of Kitabo, that uh, on this day you become a people. This day apparently is a covenantal language. I guess this day means eternity, what happened. So that's the end, so to speak, for now, of the pshat level of the sikha. Then the Rebbe goes into the wine of Torah, showing that in Rashi, there's a tremendous amount of depth that is hidden, even mystical things. Firstly, the Rebbe quotes that if you look into the Hasidic portion of uh, this week, In the Kutei Torah, on this verse, which this Sikh is based on, he established you to people. The Kutei Torah explains that uh, the word am to a people over here means to be very close to him, to be people like him. Am can mean im, with him. And the Rebbe explains that in most places in Hasidus, the word am is a derogatory term. Am means a nation which is distant from the king, and this is hinted by the word Gechalim, Omemot, same root as the word Am, whispering coals which are sort of dying out, which, which lost their life, which lost their connectivity to their source, and that's generally the definition of an Am, of a nation that is distant from the king. As per Shara Yuchud, chapter 7, and in many other places. In this case, apparently one of the exceptions, where the Alter Rebbe says Am, it's a compliment. Am is in the language of Im, with him. And uh, represents the Jewish people uh, that the God at this time of the covenant established you as his people, says the Alter Rebbe. He lifted them up to their source in the in this Machshava Duma, in the Machshava Yenin, Hashem's supreme uh, thought process, if you will, that precedes creation. Suddenly, this idea of Am of a nation mystically is Im and elevating them that they are close to Hashem and his eternal thoughts. Wow, that's a deviation. That's a little bit different from what normally is done, says the Rebbe. That echoes the Rashi. Where Rashi says this is a, a step up. Yeah, we were his nation before for the last 40 years. That was nice. That was covenant one. Uh -huh. We're going to covenant two. 
We're stepping this up. We're going to be with him. We're going to be forever. We're going to be divine-like. So therefore, we see right away that the, this is the Rashi carries within it depth, the wine of Torah, and something more spiritual and mystical. That's the first point of the mysticism that the Rebbe introduces. And then the Rebbe goes further, and we're going to open up a new discussion now uh, on, the, on the second discussion of the wine of Torah, which is at much more detail and lengthy. And as we do that, we're going to move away from this Rashi, and we will revisit it at the end. Before we do that, to make that second part of the Sikha more sweet, there is a little bit of a question mark on what we learned, which will become more, uh, sorry, which will become uh, sweetened up by what we're going to learn now. And what's that question mark? Um, you take a look at the verses of Covenant 1 versus Covenant 2. In Covenant 1, it doesn't just say today, it says this day. And as we're going to learn in a minute, this day is even greater than today. Whenever it says the word this, it's special. So wait a minute, if covenant one comes first and covenant two is supposed to be a step up, we just discussed from the Kutte Torah that this covenant's a whole new level. We're not just his nation, far away from him, we're his nation, close to him. And yet, in the language of the text, it seems to be a huge step down. We go from this day to just today. How is this a step up? It seems to be a giant step down, as we're going to see. So, Let's move on and let's learn a little bit from the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Yitzchak. Um, the Rebbe says, brings him his father, Rebbe Yitzchak. I recommend that, you know, you minimize the window of what we learned till now. You sort of, you know, put it aside. This is a new sicha for practical purposes right now, and then we'll come back to that. But we're studying now Hasidus. We went away from Rashi. The Rebbe's father, in speaking about Rosh Hashanah and how Rosh Hashanah is hinted in this in these Torah portions, and uh, it quotes uh, the famous Lukute Torah that the Alta Rebbe says that whenever it says the word Hayom today in Torah, especially in these texts which are always read prior to Rosh Hashanah and in close proximity to Rosh Hashanah, it's a reference to Rosh Hashanah. Most famous, you stand this day, you stand today before Hashem, which is the first verse in today's portion. It's with reference to Rosh Hashanah. So the Rebbe's father, I believe Yitzchak, speaks about it. But he introduces um, a verse from last week's portion that that too is also referring to Rosh Hashanah. Nitzavim is, is speaking about Rosh Hashanah as per the Alter Rebbe. But also in portion of Kitavo, this is the same verse we talked about earlier, but don't mind that for now. The language is Hayom Salam. Today, on this day, you became my people. That's also a reference to Rosh Hashanah. And he says, why? Because he uses the word this. Aha. In Hebrew, the word this is Zeh. And we know regarding Rosh Hashanah, the verse says, Zeh Hayom This is the day, the beginning of your work. In Torah, the word this is very powerful. The word this means revelation. You see it in front of your eyes. That's a Rosh Hashanah thing. It's a Rosh Hashanah thing. Revelation, Hashem is right there. You know, he's reigning supreme. He's becoming king over the universe. This is the day. And therefore says Rablavik uh, that the verse in Kitavo is also a reference to Rosh Hashanah. And the Rebbe says, let's try to understand this. Why do we need this Zeh aspect? It's a nice connection because it hints to the verse, which incidentally is part of the psalm, the Tillam, the song of the day for Thursday. 
But why do we need that? The Alter Rebbe already told us that whenever it says Hayom, not Zayom, just Hayom, it's referring to Rosh Hashanah. Hayom, today, the great day of the great judgment, etc. Why do we need this? This? Why does the Rebbe's father bother to make that into a big deal? Says the Rebbe because this is introducing that there are two aspects to Rosh Hashanah. There's an aspect that's hinted whenever it just says merely today, and there's another aspect when it says this day. And these two aspects of Rosh Hashanah will be introduced in a minute. But before we do that, whoops. Before we do that, the Rebbe says uh, to bring home this point that when it says this day versus today, there's a distinct difference. So much so that even on a Rashi level, the Rebbe says, I'm going to give you an example of two verses. The Rebbe gives more than two. I'm just making it simple. There's a verse that we say, we say um, uh, this is actually from last week's portion. This day I command you. And, and there's a verse in the Shema in Vaischanon, which I command you today. Hayom Hazet, or just Hayom. They seem to be the same. Now, Rashi comments on both those verses. What does it mean they command you this day? Rashi is not going to tell us mystical interpretations that it refers to Rosh Hashanah. Rashi is the literal level. So Rashi said, bothered by this. What do you mean I'm commanding you this day? Torah was given back then. Says Rashi in both cases that you should do Torah as if it's commanded to you today. You should see it every day like new. But says the Rebbe, if you analyze the two Rashis, you'll see there's a difference. In the verse of Kitava, where it says, on this day I command you, Rashi says, every day consider it new. But in the Shiman verse where it says, which I command you today, not this day, just merely today, Rashi says, every day consider it alike new. It's a difference of one letter. Chadashim new or kachadashim, like new. And exactly new. So we see even in Rashi, and the literal level of text, and like I said, the Bible brings one or two other verses where we see the same difference in the Rashi. That when Torah says today, it means that you should feel it's present like new, but not quite new. Whereas if it says this day, it's it's it, it's it's actually new. It's a whole different level. So now, by the way, it's famous that the word this is the difference between Moses and the other prophets. Moses, the only prophet, when he prophesied, he would say, Zed, this is it. This is the word of Hashem. All the other prophets, they use the word Koamar Hashem. So says God, which means it wasn't exactly clear. It was with a hint. It was a parable. Moses stood there and talked like man talks to his friend. And therefore, Moses uses the word Zed, which denotes revelation. You see it. It's considered a big deal that at the Sinai, I'm sorry, at the splitting of the sea, when the song of Moses that we say every day, the, the Jewish people all said, this is my God. And it said that every Jew, every man, woman, and child, even the maidservants amongst them, saw God more than any prophet other than Moses. Because again, the prophets did not use that word, this, they couldn't see God in a way that you could actually see a total revelation. They saw like a hint, Torah Marashat. As so many of our bar mitzvah haftorahs begin, so says God, it's like a hint. So now that we have this, this box is parenthetic. This is just a bothering, borrowing from other Rashis and verses to teach us that there is clearly a difference, an important difference between Hayom and Hayom Hazeh, today and this day. 
So now we go back to the Rebbe's father, who quotes two verses and says they both refer to Rosh Hashanah, one a verse from Nitzavim Arvers, Hayom, and one a verse from Kitavo, Hayom Adet. And Rabbi Levick makes a point to say they both refer to Rosh Hashanah. One because it says Hayom, and the other because it says Hayom Azeh. And the Rebbe is now going to introduce that Rosh Hashanah has these two aspects. Rosh Hashanah has the Zeh aspect, and it has the co-aspect, the two aspects that we just talked about. The, the aspect that, of direct revelation, which is the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, and the aspect of Ko, which is a hidden uh, connection, not a direct revelation as much, which is, like I mentioned earlier, the way most of the other prophets God relating to us indirectly, less direct. Says the Rebbe, this is brilliant. The Rebbe is building a whole building here and a whole puzzle. There is a famous verse about Rosh Hashanah, which again is said on Thursday in the song of the day. This is the day of the beginning of your work, reminiscent of the first day. This is a verse that's very important, one of the most important verses Speaking of Rosh Hashanah, we actually say it in, in our Musaf on Rosh Hashanah. And what's the meaning of, of that verse? You know, on the face of it, I guess it means that when you're standing on Rosh Hashanah, you say, this day is the beginning of Hashem's work, reminiscent of the actual first day, 5,700 some odd years ago. But the Hasidic masters explain this to mean The two days of Rosh Hashanah, which is day six of creation, when man was created, Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, versus the first day of the 25th of Elul. Rosh Hashanah is not the first day of creation. It could have been. But God said, no, Rosh Hashanah is going to be the sixth day of creation. The world was created on the 25th of Elul. Rosh Hashanah is the day of the creation of man and woman because they are the purpose of creation. Hence, now we read the verse differently. We stand on Rosh Hashanah, the sixth day of creation. We say, this is the day of beginning of your work. This means a day of revelation, right? Because man and woman, by extension, humanity, and more precisely, the Jewish people, their job is not just to live in God's world, be part of the food chain, be part of nature, which by definition is a concealment of its creator, but to reveal its creator. That's the job of mankind, and that's the job of the Jewish people, to make this world Hashem's home. And therefore, Rosh Hashanah, the sixth day of creation, is a Zed day. It's a day of revelation. We start to see the purpose. But it's reminiscent of the first day. It's we're, we're, we're bringing to the fore also the first day of creation when it all began, because that too is important. And the Rebbe says that too is that that's the 25th day of Elul, with 25 is Chafei, it's Ko. So here we have the Ko and the Zed. And it, and it, it works into a perfect puzzle. The 25th of Elul, Ko, it's a Ko day. It's a day of so, of, of not divine revelation. That's when God made the world. He made a place which is beautiful and wonderful, but it doesn't clearly reflect its creator if you don't look for it. It's Koamar Hashem. It's hidden. And then on the sixth day, Rosh Hashanah, Hashem said, Zeh, this is the day when you will be able to reveal me. Adam and Eve got all the animals and all the creatures to come and recognize their creator. And this is the beginning of the process of Mashiach, which through the Jewish people and Torah and Mitzvah, the whole world will come to recognize Hashem. And now that becomes a whole deeper meaning to that verse. Rosh Hashanah is this is the day of the beginning of your work. Beginning of work doesn't mean in terms of time. In terms of time, it was the end of the work. It was the last day of, of the actual work. But beginning meaning is the, the ultimate purpose of creation, reminiscent of the first day. 
ze versus ko. Creation of man versus creation of, of the world, which is, it's not the revelation, it's just nature, it's hidden. You can live a whole life, God forbid, and not even know that there's a, a creator behind it. it. Says the Rebbe that even though Rosh Hashanah, this Ze is much greater than the Ko, but we still are reminiscent of the Ko. Why do we talk about it? If Ze is so much greater, let's graduate the Ko. Hashem made the world 20 people available. Big deal. That's not important. That's just nature. That's a hidden reality. We want Ze. We should just say, this is the beginning of your work. Forget about what happened then. We don't do that. We are mindful, we are reminiscent of the co of the uh, creation of nature, of the concealment of Hashem in the physicality of the world, even as we are celebrating the creation of man and the beginning of the process of Gilelikus, of Revelation, or Rosh Hashanah. Why? The latter is so much greater than the former. And the answer mm -hmm. is no, 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 no. It's true that Revelation is much greater than concealment. And the mission of mankind and the Jewish people is obviously going to reach Hashem's purpose, and it's going to be infinitely greater than just nature itself, which is a concealment of Hashem. However, what's even greater is when that revelation reaches the whole world, when the mission of the Jewish people, when the mission of Rosh Hashanah, of the sixth day of creation, the day when, when we introduced to the world the concept of Zeh, this Torah, mitzvahs, and, and the ability to see Hashem and His pleasure and His purpose in creation, that it doesn't just stay in the walls of the shul and the yeshiva, but it will reach all of nature. And therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, we're very mindful, reminiscent of that first day. And in fact, it says that a big part of Rosh Hashanah is asking Hashem, and we are judged for physical things, for our health, for our wealth. Like, why? Why would we even be concerned about these things on such a day, which is referring to Torah and mitzvahs and Hashem's real mission? And the answer is because the real mission is, yes, to reveal Torah and mitzvahs and Hashem's plan, but for that revelation to be felt in our natural day-to-day -day lives. Hence, in a sense, the 25th of El, the ko is a greater accomplishment than the zeh. Or let's call it the ko becomes incorporated in the zeh. And Rosh Hashanah now has two aspects. It's a day to celebrate Hashem as our king and his delight and his ultimate essential purpose in creation to be one with the Jewish people. Aha! Zeh! But not to forget that that purpose should be permeated should reach the entire universe, should reach the whole world, should reach the co. The two become one and intertwined. The example that I came up with when I taught the class here is um, that, you know, what's greater, Shabbos or weekday? So you say, what do you mean it's a no-brainer? Shabbos is a holy day. I'm borrowing this. I don't know if this is 100% accurate. Shabbos is like a Z day. It's a day of divine revelation. Weekdays is it represents a concealment. That's true. But ultimately, the way Hasidus explains it, what's even greater than weekday is Shabbos, and what's even greater than Shabbos is when the weekday is infused with Shabbos. So from this perspective, the purpose of the weekday is not Shabbos, but the, actually the purpose of Shabbos is the weekday. Live a holy day. Be infused with Zeb. Be infused with Hashem. Understand that life is all about Torah, mitzvahs, and Hashem's plan. And then when that inspiration is felt, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, in your day-to-day -day life, in your business, in, your, in the way you deal with people, in your mundane reality, 
that's even much greater. It's infinitely greater than feeling that way on a Shabbos, on a holy day, when the whole world is on a different level. Because the whole idea is to, to introduce the infinity of Hashem, and, and the way to introduce infinity is to show that there's no place that it cannot reach. How do you show Hashem's light that Shabbos becomes elevated? Or that Sunday through Friday becomes elevated? The latter is much greater. Or the example that Rebbe gives himself from the Rambam. That a Chacham, which is the Rambam's way of speaking about a tzaddik, or a special holy person, he's recognized in his wisdom and in his Torah, but he's also recognized in the way he behaves with people, the way he eats, the way he walks. And that's an even greater accomplishment. It's one thing to be a great scholar and a big Talmud Chacham. It's another for that uh, inspiration and holiness, if you will, and piety to affect the way you behave as a person. And why is that greater? If you see a, a Talmud Chacham who is not a, a, a decent human being and not, uh, a, a, not a, a positive presence, there's probably something wrong with their piety. And the reason is because if the piety is there, it will influence Everything in its wake. Light never stops. Infinity never stops. He's a chokham. You're going to see it the way he eats. Similarly, Rosh Hashanah, Hashem revealed his kingdom, his tainog, his, his, deepest, uh, his deepest delight and mystical purpose and creation hinted in the shofar, which is the word tainog, shofar, shofar means delight, etc. And that's what the kingdom is. And all the things explained in Hasidus about the wonderful day of Rosh Hashanah. Zayom, it's a day of revelation. It's a day of... Cutting to the chase and figuring out what it's all about, Hashem's deepest, deepest essential desire, namely Torah, mitzvahs, the Jewish people. Got it. But don't forget the first day. Don't forget the Kohen. Don't forget that Rosh Hashanah, we will influence, we, we, we vow, we renew our commitment, not only to be inspired, but to bring that inspiration to the world, the world outside us, and the world that we live in our day to day, our parnasa, our livelihood, our health, our families, our hobbies. Our mundane reality. These are two aspects of Rosh Hashanah that the Rebbe introduces here. Based on the verse, this big classic verse of Rosh Hashanah from Psalms, based on the teachings of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, of his father, that uh, he says that Rosh Hashanah is hinted in both the verse of Hayom today, of the Tzavim, Nitzavim, and the verse of the uh, this day of Kitavo, because these are two aspects of Rosh Hashanah. Says the Rebbe. And we come back to the Rashi. Now we come back to the Rashi. Remember, I asked you a question. I said, you know, I get it that there's two covenants. The second one's got to be much higher than the first. How can we find that the first one uses the language of this day, both in Yisro at, at Har Sinai and in last week's portion when that covenant is, so to speak, culminated? Whereas in Itzabim, which is the new, supposedly greater covenant, it just says, Hayo. It omits the hazer. Verses that Rebbe the quotes. I don't understand. This is supposed to be a greater covenant. It should have said hazer, hazer. Hello? 
And the answer is the aforementioned. What's greater than revelation, what's greater than hazan, is infusing the mundane reality with that inspiration. Just as we said before, what's greater than Shabbos, perhaps, is the whole week having a taste of, uh, of Shabbos. So now look at the covenant. Look how the Rebbe explains it. At Sinai, when we stood at the foot of the mountain, we saw Hashem's presence. And by extension, for the whole 40 years, we lived pretty much a miraculous existence. We ate godly food. We drank miraculous water, etc. Everything was totally miraculous. We, we, we weren't in the real world. We didn't really have to test the Nisianus uh, in terms of, uh, of, of concealment of godliness. Concealment, all they had was godliness. So therefore, it's a, it's a zeh situation. It's a this situation. It's a lofty situation. And there's a covenant to establish the people. But there's a problem with that covenant. We don't know if that covenant will be established forever. We know that it's established, but will it last forever? And why not? Because it hasn't been tested. You're sitting in a mountaintop or you're standing in a miraculous environment for 40 years where all they know is God. So there'll be a holy people. With all the trouble they made, there were still a holy people. But what's going to happen when they become an old people and they go to the land? They start living in physical realities. Will they maintain that? That's where the real test begins. That's where the real test begins. And that's why Moses on his deathbed, the day of his past, he's not going across. Moses is the poster boy for the Zeh. He sees Hashem and he helps us all see it. But on his last day, he says, I'm not going to say Zeh. I want to empower you to bring the Zeh to the cow. I want to empower you to leave the desert in the miraculous environment of Gilead, of course, and live daily lives, which, so to speak, on the face of it, you seem like other nations. You're regular people. You're living natural existences. You're farming the land. You're not eating heavenly bread. You're eating bread from the earth. You're, you're making a living. You have 401ks and you have uh, IRAs and whatever you got. You're living like normal human beings. And yet to maintain the covenant, now it'll be eternal. Now it's eternal. If you remain embedded, in, and you're, as we said earlier, in the presence of Hashem always, which Hashem accomplished through this covenant, that a Jew always feels they're in the presence of Hashem, always means always. Not only when they're standing in a miraculous environment, but in day-to-day -day natural environment, suddenly they need a new covenant. And that's why the language shifts. And Arasina, Yisro, and also in Kitova, the language is this day. Because that covenant, which was that time of revelation at Sinai and the desert, was a situation of this, of revelation. Turn the page, says the Rebbe. This is brilliant. There's no more Zehayom. There's no revelation. Get ready for darkness. Get ready for nature. Get ready for living a normal life in normal land like normal people. And you will still remain committed. And therefore, you will be established forever. Because you're going to bring the Zeh to the code. It's a much greater. Therefore, therefore, what have we accomplished? Whoops, this is the wine of the Torah. We accomplished that the that Rashi in Rashi is embedded. As we said, covenant one and then covenant two, and covenant two becomes greater. We graduate not only in the place of the desert or spirituality, but even in the land of Israel and physical. Or you might say, as the Rebbe mentions in the Sicha, that Hashem made a covenant with the Jewish people at Sinai. He really made it with their souls. You know, the website saw you at Sinai. Really? Yeah, on our soul level. We were all there. So the covenant was made with our souls. Our souls love God. But but uh, what about when we become bodies, we become human beings in real life? Do we still love Hashem? 
That's the second covenant. Our souls, they see Hashem. Zayom, they see it. Our bodies, not so much. And that's why the second covenant does not have the word Zayom. And that's a huge step up. It's not a step down, it's a step forward. Infinite step forward. Showing that our soul's light will permeate the body. And we can apply this to to our to the way Rebbe always teaches us how to be a yid. Don't just be a yid in shul. Don't just be a yid on Shabbos. Don't just be holy and focused and uh, and and etc. When you're doing Torah and mitzvahs, but in day to day life, as mentioned earlier, or as I said to my people in my class, the modern American Jew feels uh, that we're not the real Jews. You talk about. You talk about 50 generations of Yidden living in shtetls, living together, living in Jewish environments. And today, especially, you know, outside of the religious enclaves, you know, the Jew is living in a secular environment. And then he or she starts doing mitzvahs and lighting Shabbos, lechem, putting on tulin, learning Torah, and they feel like they don't really count. They're just playing Jew. And I think the Sicha argues that the Jew in modernity is the real Jew. That's the real accomplishment. A Jew who can, who can get into any profession, who has all the choices open to him or her. And in that place of not zeh, you might say the shtetl compared to America was zeh compared to not zeh, revelation compared to concealment. And in that place of concealment, we infuse the holiness. And this is very much what the Rebbe wants and what the Rebbe is all about. I'm going to share something personal that I heard from uh, the famous artist, um, Michael Schwartz, who I became close to the last, 10 years of his life, and he he designed some things for our Kabbalahs, including uh, our Oren Kodesh, which he signed his name. It's a, it's a very large piece of sculpture that he made. And I would ask him over the years, his relationship to the Rebbe, it's known that in the 40s, when the Rebbe was in charge of uh, publishing uh, things, um, all the work of the previous Rebbe, including publishing the talks and tales. So Michal Schwartz was the artist. He was a kid, apparently was a teenager, and the Rebbe came across him and hired him to draw like the comics, the inside cover, back cover of the various talks and tales every single month had like comics of very interesting Jewish topics. And it's fascinating, which went on for many, many years. So he said to me that he, I asked him, did the Rebbe give you any instruction? He said, the Rebbe said, I want you to make it modern. He said to me, I want you to make it like Dick Tracy. Apparently, Dick Tracy was was the in thing, the modern type of you know comic. Don't give me traditional. Traditional is nice, but the goal is not the zeh. The goal is the koi. The Rebbe's goal is not to uh, to to reimpart Europe here, but to show that America is no different. That America, with all its modernity, we don't have to make it ancient. We don't have to take it back in time in order for it to be a vehicle and a vessel and a home for holiness. No. It's a modern place. Great. That's a good place for Torah and for Hasidus. To the contrary. It's a powerful sikha that each of us can apply in our own lives uh, to, to, to find Hashem and the Rebbe and Hasidus and revelation in our dark moments and in our the parts of our life that are not inspired, that are not mitzvahs, that are not prayer, that are just plain. They're just plain and mundane, and we think that they're separate. They're not. They are the purpose. The weekday, that's the purpose of Shabbos. 